All right. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Great is his faithfulness. Thank God. Right? I mean, really. I'm not being sarcastic. I hope every single morning you wake up and you look in the mirror and you go, Oh, thank God that he is faithful, that he's merciful, that he's gracious, and that even when I blow it, he never casts us away. Right? That's the promise that we have from his word. Right? That's the promise that we have from his word. What a promise to have. The God that I serve, the God that I love, and the God that I seek to follow, he says to me, I will in no wise cast you out. Never. That even when I'm faithless, he remains faithful. He goes on to say that he cannot deny himself. And what that means for you and I is that when we become a part of that family, when we ask Jesus Christ to be our Lord and Savior, we literally become a part of that family. Now, you all have families, right? You've been to those reunions. You know what I'm saying? Some of them, you don't want to admit that they're your family, right? Some of it's like, oh, yes, Uncle Frank. (laughs) Yes. Yes, yes, he's an embarrassment sometimes, but they're still your family. And God taught us one of the greatest lessons of all time when Jesus was talking to the people and he said, none of you, if their son asked them for a fish, would give him a snake. None of you, if if your son asked you for bread, would give him a stone. And if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, how much more, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask it of them. That's the God that we serve. And that is a great promise to have. Now, in light of that, uh, we are planning a, another baptism, uh, baptismal service. Is there a specific date, Pop? We really haven't put one together. We need volunteers first <laughs> to be baptized. If you've never been baptized, um, you should be, right? It's not necessary for your salvation. That's not what the Scripture teaches us. But the Bible does teach us that if we are believers in Jesus Christ, we should be baptized. It's very symbolic, just like the communion that we're going to share together is very symbolic for us as believers. We understand from what Jesus taught his disciples at the Last Supper that the communion represents for us his body that was broken for us, his blood that was shed for us. And in the same way, baptism is for us a representation. It's a representation of being buried in a sense, the old man, the old woman being buried and then raised to new life in Jesus Christ. It's symbolic, and yet at the same time, it's very, very meaningful, and it's an act of obedience that God requires of us. So if you've never been baptized, come see Dad or myself after, after, after service, or call us, text us during the week or whatever, and uh, we'd love to set that up. Now, as Dad pointed out during the first service, as the year goes on, the water ain't getting warmer, Okay. Now, I am of the belief, being an old Wesleyan, (laughs) that the colder it is and the more unpleasant it is, the holier you'll be when you come out. (laughs) That's not true. But we don't have anything to heat the water, so let us know if you want to be baptized. Uh, We, of course, are in the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus, and we are uh, already uh, in chapter 8. If you can believe that. Huh? This is where I put my sermon notes, Pop. (laughs) Um, I don't have many notes in there, but 
it's handy and dandy for me because those of you who know me know how forgetful I am and how I lose everything. So the, 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 the iPhone notepad has literally, it's definitely saved my career. Like I'd have been fired a long time ago, you know. Frank, did you take care of that thing? What thing? <laughs> so anyway, uh, let's start off with a word of prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and uh, Lord, we just ask that you'd cover this portion of Scripture for us. We pray that as we go through it, Lord, that you would instruct us, and, and you would train us, and you would teach us from it, Lord. You would encourage us by it. Um, Lord, and we ask that you would, you would bring us encouragement from you, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, and also, if we need it, Lord, correction. Uh, Lord, we, we get off the beaten path. Lord, we, we get off that straight and narrow. It's all too easy for us, and we pray that, Lord, in your, with your gentle hand, uh, you would bring correction and exhortation today if you need to, uh, Lord. But every single person needs something here individually from you today, Lord. I don't know what it is. There's no way I could ever meet their needs, but you can, Lord. Uh, and your word says of itself, it's living and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. It can, it can divide right down through their heart and soul and spirit and divide their intentions, Lord. And uh, Lord, you can speak directly into their hearts. And I pray that you do that today, Father, that you'd show them how much you love them. Uh, and what big plans you have for him, Lord. Pray that you would glorify our service today and all the churches around the world that are meeting together in Jesus' name and, and studying your word as well, Lord. I pray that you bless their services and you would bring many into the kingdom. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Exodus chapter 8, we are just getting started. Now, one of the things about the plagues of Egypt uh, that you probably don't think about is... It probably started, these, these plagues probably started with, with, uh, with Moses turning the water into blood, probably around, for us it would be around the month of June. It's not until April that Passover happens. So we're talking about months that this is taking place over a period of months. When you read through it, it seems like, oh, this is like a, you know, like a couple weeks here. No, no, this was months and, and that's something I think just as a, as a sidebar note for us as believers to remember all the time is that God works over the course of time, right? He stands outside of time. A day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day to him. It ain't like that for you though, right? We pray something, we ask God for something or God shows us something. When do we expect it to happen? To, but yesterday, right? You know, come on, you know. We're waiting on God to do it right away. That's not how he works. He works in his timing, according to his will. He's got things in order. Now, he's, he's the, if he's the chess master, the chess master, right? If he's the chess master, he's got all of these pieces and parts and, and, and players involved in, the, in, his, in his heavenly plan, and he's arranging them, and he's setting them up, and he's putting them in positions that they need to be. They don't know why. It's just like any good soldier, and Paul talks about this. Uh, they're, uh, they're, the, what they desire is to obey their commanding officers. They want to be pleasing to their commanding officers, the good ones, right? And we don't always know the reason for the orders. We don't always know the reason for what God is doing, and we certainly don't always understand the timing. Sometimes not only does it not make sense to us, but it seems to be exactly the opposite of what he ought to do. Like, well, Lord, if you want to do this, I don't know why, and this doesn't make any sense. This is where our faith comes into, into practice. See, this is where the rubber meets the road, where we say, God, I don't understand this. I don't like this. I'm kind of angry about it, quite frankly, but I trust you. Hey, that's a good place to be in. The Bible says that he knows us. He knows that we're, that we're dust, right? Remember, he built us. 
He, he understands. He knows our framework. You know, God doesn't get all angry when you have doubts. God doesn't get all angry when you lose faith and focus. God doesn't get all angry when you get depressed. He is never looking down on you like the disapproving father. He's the opposite of that. You see, he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for you and to send the Holy Spirit to inhabit your heart and inhabit your life in spite of knowing you. <laughs> in spite of knowing us. That's why the Bible teaches us that we will, while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. That's the God that we serve. The Bible says, Jesus says of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give himself as a ransom for many. That's the God that we serve. So he doesn't get angry at you when you lose heart and when you lose focus. He understands. And he wants to work you through that process. But the end result and what God wants to see from us is he wants to see this heart that's honest and open and true before him to admit our faults and, and admit our failures and admit even our unbelief and yet say, but yet I trust you. And I know that the thoughts that you have for me are to prosper in me and not to harm me, to give me a future and a hope. And I believe in that promise. And I'm going to put my life in your hands and please excuse my whining. Because it's coming, ain't it? Right? I'm going to whine. Just like any good marital relationship, you want to have a good marriage. Okay? You want to have a good marriage. Ask the old married couples. Either live in separate houses or you've got to talk to one another. You've got to be honest with one another. You want to have a good marital relationship, you've got to be honest with one another. <clears throat> hey, he's always not going to be doing it right, and she's not always going to be doing it right. We need to be open and honest. We need to confess to one another, I got this blot in my life, babe. You know it. She's like, yeah, <laughs> I know it. Would you pray for me? Guys, let me tell you something about your wife, Okay. <clears throat> remember when God brought Eve to Adam and he saw her. And you remember the first thing he said? Well, the first thing he said was, whoa, man. That's why she's called woman, right? <laughs> that was for free, by the way. <laughs> Want to pass the offering plates around again? No. He said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And the Bible talks about this mystical union that happens between a husband and a wife where the two become one. It's not just a physical thing, it's a spiritual thing. And I tell young couples all the time, just like you are body, mind, and spirit, or body, spirit, and soul, you're made up of three parts because you were created in the image and likeness of Almighty God, and He is three in one, and He created us in His image. And everyone that runs around throughout the world, and us ourselves, even as believers, so often, what do we focus on? We focus on the body, some of us less than others, and we focus on the mind. We focus on the things that pertain to this life, this here and now. And we tend to not focus on the spiritual things. The entirety of the Bible is teaching us that we've got it backwards. And that, in fact, what we ought to be putting most of our attention to are the spiritual things. And if you sow to the spiritual things, you will from that reap life. When you sow to the flesh, the only thing you can reap are things that are fleshly. And you know what? Once something is about the flesh that we all understand and know, it stinketh, as the Bible says. Hopefully, you put on deodorant this morning, right? 
or you're not sitting near people. And the reason that you had to put on deodorant is because you know I'm eventually, sometime during the course of this day, going to begin to stink. Right? That's the flesh. And God gives us this great example so we can understand it from Scripture. If you sow to the flesh, you're only going to reap corruption. When I look in the mirror at the 44-year-old Frank Thomas, it ain't the same guy as the 18-year-old Frank Thomas. And in some ways, everybody's thankful for that, right? But I understand and see that my, my flesh, my body, like an old tent, is slowly but surely wearing out. But the Bible says because of the spiritual things, the inward man is being renewed day by day. In Jesus Christ, I am a brand new, shiny, like Z3, you know what I mean? Like the newest model sports car. That's how he sees me in Jesus Christ. The new, because the inward man, because of the spirit, is being renewed day by day, though the outward man. And we sow into the flesh. We sow into the flesh. It's like buying stocks and bonds in, 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 in J.C. Penney's or Sears. That's not a smart business move, probably. We're sowing into something that is dying, that's going away. And the entirety of the Bible is teaching us, no, 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 sow into the Spirit. Be renewed day by day. You are supposed to be like a city on a hill. You're supposed to be like a candle set up upon a table in a dark room. That when you walk into a place, you got the same problems as everyone else. You got the same issues. You got the same trials and tribulations and things that go down in your life as everyone else does. And yet there's something in your heart, there's something in your face, there's something in your countenance that tells people that person's got something I ain't got. And the whole purpose of it is so that they'll come up to you and say, What do you got that I ain't got? And we can share them the love and the truth of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But it begins with us. You know what I'm saying? There's too many uh, uh, examples in this world, and, and, and you've probably been there yourself or certainly have talked to people who say, I'd be a Christian if it wasn't for Christians. Now, listen, you are not always going to be able to please everybody. And at the end of the day, people are going to stumble over the gospel one way or another. Because at the end of the day, to come to Christ, I've got to say, I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God because of my sins, and I need a Savior. But we've, everyone's got to do that. And that ain't an easy thing for anybody. But so often, people are turned away from the gospel and turned away from faith in Jesus Christ because the attitude and the feeling that they have is, so if I become a Christian, I'm going to be like that one? No, I'm good. I'm okay. I, I, I'm just fine. We want to be the kind of people that even when things in our lives, just like everyone else, are not going well, there's something different about us. There's always in our hope, in our eyes, a hope. People can always see in our countenance a peace, as the scripture says, that passes understanding. If we're honest with ourselves, and we're when, our, in our, when we're in our prayer closets and we're talking to God, if we're honest with ourselves, we, we, understand, we understand all too well how far we fall short of that mark. Am I every single day Reflecting the countenance of Jesus Christ to my co-workers? Oh, no. But that's what I want. And that's the path that God has set each one of us on. You know, Dad, Dad tells us this verse 100,000 times a, a, a message, right? Not quite maybe that many times, but a lot. 
Though the righteous man falls seven times, he rises again. The, the mark of a righteous person, our pastor has taught us this oh so well, the mark of a righteous person is not that you never fall. It's that you get back up. Because everybody falls short. Everybody falls. So, um, God in working with the Egyptians, okay, and we, we started off where I got off on that tangent, talking about how his timing is different from our timing. And this is probably a nine-month approximately period of time between the water turning to blood and Passover happening, okay? It's a long, drawn-out period of time by our standards. Um, and yet, what God is doing here is he is establishing, he is establishing first and foremost... We need to understand what God is establishing is his preeminence. Okay? God doesn't say please. He just simply makes a command. He makes a statement. And the only thing, remember what Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things that I say? Lord means that I'm over you. It means that I'm your master. So, so not so Lord is not something that should ever be in our vocabulary. You, why do you call me Lord and you don't do the things that I say? When your Lord says to you, go here, do this, there should only be one answer. Okay. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Right? There was a, remember that old song. I'll say yes, Lord, yes, to your will and to your way. Remember that? That's the whole point, is to learn to say yes, to be obedient. God is preeminent. God has established himself, and always when he appears to man, the first thing that he does, I am the Lord. When Moses goes in to talk to Pharaoh, okay, the, the mightiest ruler on earth at that point in time, God doesn't instruct Moses to genuflect. Now, in the New Testament Christians, he tells us to respect and pray for our leaders, okay? You, we ain't Moses, okay? This is God working with the nation of Egypt, okay? And this is God working specifically through Moses. And God says to him, when you go in in front of Pharaoh, you say, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go. And Pharaoh says no, and the people grumble, and Moses doubts, and then when he goes back to God, God just reiterates the exact same command. This is what you need to do, Moses. I'll say it again. Go into the presence of Pharaoh and say, this is what the Lord says. Let my people go. God does not negotiate. And God has not called us to be negotiators, right? It's like that great uh, shirt that I saw, or meme uh, on, on, on Facebook, one of the ones that was good, it says, I am not a negotiator, I am a herald. I am a herald. This is what the Word of God says. God does not negotiate, and yet, and yet, He is always seeking to respond to people in love and forgiveness. But there has to be obedience. So God's not asking the Egyptians. He's telling the Egyptians. But they don't respect you. It doesn't make any difference. God makes the command. The Egyptians, in, in the form of Pharaoh, flatly say, absolutely not. I don't know your God, nor will I do what he says. That's kind of opposite, isn't it? I don't know him, and I'm not going to do what he says. <laughs> okay. And so God begins to work in the nation of Egypt to glorify himself. He is showing himself preeminent. And also establishing his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, Pharaoh has told Moses, absolutely not. I'm not going to let the people uh, of Israel go. 
Moses has caused his staff to turn into a monster in front of Pharaoh and his, and his court. He has now turned the waters of Egypt to blood. And Pharaoh is still refusing to let the people of go. The other thing that's interesting, very interesting, about the plagues as we go through them, is that God, it seems, is directly attacking the gods of Egypt. Every single one of the plagues that you look at when we go through, uh, you can relate to one of the gods of Egypt. And I have a, um, I have a, uh, a picture here if I can find it. Uh, and I'm just going to kind of go through this, go through this for you. So I see this is why I got my little phone here. Uh, the plague, the first plague, water to blood, Exodus chapter seven, verses 14 to 25. The Nile was the source of Egypt's power. And there are several gods in their pantheon that draw life from the river Nile. Gnum was the guardian of the river's source, and Happy was the god of uh, annual flooding of the Nile and the lord of the fish. And Osiris had the Nile as his bloodstream. Osiris, I'm going to say that again, the Nile was considered his bloodstream. And so God takes the Nile River and he turns it to blood. And the Bible says that everything in the river died and it stanketh. (laughs) It stinketh, okay? Plague number two is what we're picking up in Exodus chapter 8. The Egyptians, uh, or excuse me, Hecht was an Egyptian goddess. And when you see her in the drawings and the hieroglyphics, she has the body of a woman and the head of a frog. And the head of a frog. Uh, She was a fertility goddess. And frogs were uh, a symbol of fertility to the Egyptians. Uh, Plague number three, the gnats or the lice. Jeb was the god over the dust of the earth that God turns into lice. Plague number four in Exodus 8, 20 to 32, flies. Uh, Kephri had the head of a beetle and also, in their opinion, moved the sun. And remember what it says about the flies. There were so many it blotted out the sun. Uh, Plague number five, the sick cattle, Exodus chapter 9, 1 to 7. Hathor was a fertility goddess who was often depicted with the head or horns of a bull and sometimes as a bull wearing the symbols of Hathor. Plague number six, the boils. Isis was the goddess of health and Imhotep was the god of healing. The Egyptians were very, very, very big time into the spa treatment, okay? They were always shaved. They were cleaned. It was important to them. Remember, when, Jake, uh, when Joseph comes to Egypt and is risen up to sit at the right hand of the Pharaoh and then his brothers come, when they come in to commune with him, remember he said he, he didn't eat. He wouldn't even eat with them. They, it's an abomination for the Egyptians to eat with a shepherd. Remember that. They were very clean, and they were all about health, and that's part of the reason that they worship these gods because they believe that they provided them with health. So God attacks that in the sixth plague with the boils, and they had boils all over their bodies. Have you ever had a boil? If you've, ever, you've never had a boil, don't, I don't recommend it. It's awful. Like a real deal boil, it's like a, by the time it, you, 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 you get it out, it looks like a gunshot wound. I mean, it's awful. It's an awful, awful thing. And the Bible says they had them from head to toe. Terrible. Uh, plague number seven is the hail. Exodus chapter nine, verses 13 to 35. Nut was the god, it's a funny name, isn't it? Was the goddess of the sky. And her father's shoe was the god of the wind and the air. And he was a calming god who was supposed to calm the weather. Plague number eight, locusts. Neper and Nepri were the god and goddesses of grain, and Set was the god of disorder. And remember what they did to all of the crops of the Egyptians when the locusts came through. They destroyed everything. And plague number nine, 
Darkness, Exodus 10, 21 to 29. Ra, the god of the sun. He was a big one. Ra was one of their biggest deities, and he was the god of the sun. He was the most worshipped and revered god in Egypt after, of course, the pharaoh. And Jehovah God showed he had power even over the mightiest of the Egyptian gods when he blackened the sun. And then, of course, uh, the death of the firstborn. Uh, this was a judgment on all Egyptian gods, including Pharaoh himself. In Exodus 1, Pharaoh had ordered the killing, if you remember, of the Israelite babies. And now the firstborn of all Egypt were killed. So each one of these plagues, when you look at them, you can trace it back in some way or another to one of the Egyptian gods. And God directly confronting each one of these things. This is the God of the Nile. This is the God, and just attacking it. And showing his preeminence, showing his might over all of these gods. So Exodus chapter 8, starting with verse 1, the Lord spoke to Moses, go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. Remember, same command. God doesn't change it up. God doesn't tell, you know, Moses, if you change your wording a little bit, say it a little different. Obviously, you've been offending him. You know what I mean? Make it a little more palatable, will you? He doesn't change one single word. Go to Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all of your territory with frogs. So the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, on your bed, into the houses of your servants, on your people, into your ovens, and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and on all your servants. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your rod over the stream, over the streams, over the rivers, and over the ponds, and cause frogs to come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. And interestingly enough, in verse 7, the magicians, the Egyptian magicians, did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs also on the land of Egypt. Which is funny, Dad was kind of pointing this out this morning. You think that Pharaoh would be like angry with magicians. Yeah, that's great. You can make the water turn into blood. Uh, can you make it turn back to water? How about that? You know what I mean? And look, Pharaoh, we can make frogs come up out of the river too. Yeah, can you send them back? You know what I mean? Like you're not helping here, guys. You know, but you see what's happening here. They're not trying to come up with a solution. They're not trying to come up with an answer. They are desperately, desperately trying to fight against the authority of Almighty God. That's what this was about. And you see the futility and stupidity of it. We can make water into blood too. And I don't know, is it, did, 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 were they actually given power uh, to make water into blood? Did they, or, were they, or was it just a trick? I don't know the answer to that. But in any way you look at it, it was futile. And it was stupid. It wasn't helping anything. But they're flailing and they're fighting against the authority of God. And we see this throughout the scripture and even prophetically going into the tribulation period, right? When God's judgments are being poured out, the response of the people who have taken the mark of the beast, who have refused to worship and serve God, their response is not to repent or say, I'm sorry. Their response is to shake their fist and curse at God. It, we either have a heart that is you know, geared towards repentance uh, and having faith or we don't. Again, like we were talking about a couple weeks ago, that's not something that you can work up. That's not something that you can talk someone into, right? Faith is a gift of God. And having belief and trust in him even is a gift of God. We need to pray for our neighbors. 
We need to pray for our family members, for our co-workers, you know, that God would reveal himself to them. It's not our job to prove to people that there's a God or to prove to people that the Bible's true. We just proclaim it, we live our lives, and we ask God to intercede on our friend's behalf. That's the way it works. And our job is to love them. Our job is to love them. Our job is to reflect Christ to them in the meantime, whether they believe or not. You know, as soon as the second service is done, we're heading up to motocross camp. We got motocross this camp, and the first thing that happens is uh, tomorrow morning all the parents come, they drop off their trailers and the dirt bikes, and then they come down to the campgrounds and we have a meeting. And one of the things I say to them every single year is for those of you who are here that are not believers, that don't believe in God, don't believe in Jesus Christ, and don't believe in the Bible, we love you anyway. And even if you say, I don't want to believe in God, and I don't want to believe in Jesus or the Bible, we're still going to love you. And we're going to still seek to serve you, because that's what God's called us to do. That's the kind of people God has called us to be. But God does, God does require obedience. And the Egyptians are just flailing at this point in time. They're just flailing because they're fighting against God. And God is showing it to be futile. So, verse 8, Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, Entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. And Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying, When I shall intercede for you, for your servants and for your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. So Moses is telling Pharaoh, Say when. I'm going to intercede on your behalf to God. Tell me when you want it to happen. Whenever you say, I want this to stop, that's what I'm going to pray to God for, that he's going to stop it right at that point in time. Why? So that you'll know that this is the Lord. This is God reaching out to Pharaoh even. God did not just want to use Pharaoh as a pawn, you know, uh, in his game to release the Israelites and then cast them to the side. God's always, his heart and his thought towards all people is that they would repent and that they would come to him. It doesn't matter that it's Pharaoh. Remember what God did in the life of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. God worked mightily in his life, a pagan king. God seeks to reveal himself to anybody who will accept him, anybody who will believe in him. And he's trying to work in Pharaoh's heart even now, even though Moses, or Pharaoh continues to harden it. So tell me exactly when. So, verse 10, Pharaoh says, tomorrow. And he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your houses, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. Then Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh, and Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. So the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyards, and out of the fields. And they gathered them together in heaps, and the land stank. But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. A couple of things here. First of all, just concerning this plague and concerning frogs. I like frogs. I, I don't know how that, If it's got legs, I can deal with it. You know what I'm saying? Spiders don't bother me. Centipedes don't bother me. Any creepy crawling thing, as long as it's got... Somehow, when you take away the legs, man, I lose it. You know what I'm saying? Like, if it was a, like a plague of snakes, I'm gone. Like, people say, what would you do if there was, you know, uh, found a pit of snakes in your house? I'd burn the house down. 
I burn it to the ground. That's it. I can't even deal, man. I can't stand these snakes. Frogs don't bother me. But you know how when you have like a, around here, it's like this, and maybe some of your houses, when you get like a rainstorm and there's frogs everywhere, right? The little baby frogs. This is basically, Kirkville's like a big swamp. And when we get water, a lot of rain, it's like, it's like a, a pond out there, a standing pond. There are so many frogs. And you're walking down, down, you know, we're walking down the road to Pop-Pop's house at night or whatever, and you can see the frogs moving. You know what I mean? Across the road. And I, you know, I think they're cute and everything. I, I feel bad for them. Because then when you drive through there a couple times, it's like a frog holocaust. You know what I mean? It's like there's dead squish frogs everywhere. But can you, I like frogs. They don't bother. But can you imagine your house is full of frogs? They're in your pantry. They're in your pots and your pans. They're in where your dishes go. When you pull back the sheets of your bed, you're, it's full of frogs. Frogs in the tub, frogs everywhere, everywhere you go, everywhere you turn. And frogs were a sacred animal to the Egyptians. They were not permitted to kill a frog. And let me tell you something, frogs died. Frogs died. (laughs) Frogs are getting stepped on. You know what I mean? And there's probably a lot of wives saying, I don't care what you do with the frogs. Get the frogs out of my house. Hundreds and thousands of frogs as they pour out of the Nile River. Can you imagine that? Now, the other interesting thing is that once Pharaoh says, I will obey the Lord, I will listen to the Lord. Interestingly enough, God knows he's not going to keep his promise, doesn't he? And yet he offers relief anyway. That's the merciful God that we serve. However, when God brings forgiveness, and this is an important thing for all of us to know and remember in our lives, God brings forgiveness. God is always willing to forgive. God is always willing to allow us to turn and repent and make a new start. Okay? But the frogs died and God didn't make the frogs disappear. You understand what I'm saying? The frogs died, but God didn't make them disappear. They still had to deal with the frogs. And if we have frogs in our lives that we allow to come into our lives... God forbid, hopefully we just allow a couple of frogs across the road here and there, right? You know, obviously I'm speaking spiritually of sin in our life, right? Not actual frogs. But if we allow frogs to get into our homes and into our dishes and into our bread and into our, into our family life and into our everywhere, every aspect of our life, though God will always offer forgiveness and God will always give us a fresh start, there's still going to be dead frogs laying around. God doesn't just take it all away, right? God lays out for us in Scripture, this is the perfect life to live in God. This is the perfect life to live in God, to be pleasing before the Lord your God. He knows you ain't going to do it. He knows we're not going to get it all right. That's why Jesus had to die on the cross, right? And that's why he offers us mercy and forgiveness. But as believers in Jesus Christ, it is our heart and it is our desire to the best of our ability and with all sincerity of heart to do the best we can to live according to this word, to live according to his precepts. But if we allow frogs in, and we allow a lot of frogs in, God will always forgive, and God will always give a fresh start. You're going to be dealing with dead frogs in your life. I got dead frogs in my life. Anybody else? There's dead frogs, man. You know, when I'm talking to my kids and I'm talking to them about relationships and marriage and what the Bible teaches about it and what God expects of them as young men and women in Christ... 
One of the things I tell them is, I've been married to your mother for 21 years. I love that woman. I tell, she, you know, it's, I grew up in, in the city of Syracuse. I went to Henniger. And, 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 and so I tell people, and this I mean this with all my heart, and there's no better compliment than I can pay her. She's my homeboy. You know what I'm saying? No, seriously. You know, my homeboys that I hang, hung with when I was a kid, they, those dudes, were, were, they, were, they were jacked up, right? They, we were messed up kids. But any one of those guys would have done anything for me at, at that point in time because I was running on the same path of dissipation. Once I turned away and started walking the path of righteousness, I suddenly turned around and all my homeboys were gone. <laughs> but Nikki... She's my rock. She's always, always there. She's my best, best, best friend. But we got frogs. And I tell my kids this. 21 years in, there's still aspects of our marriage that aren't what they could be because we allowed frogs in our lives when we were kids. We allowed frogs in. I had them in the bread pans, <laughs> in the refrigerator. <laughs> in the, they're still in the refrigerator, I think. They're in the, in the, in, in, everywhere. I, I welcomed the frogs. But still, all these years later, I'm dealing with frogs. God has blessed my life as he has yours. He's made something beautiful of my life. I was on a path to nothing, nothing good. And God turned it around. And I'm standing up here in front of you guys today preaching the word. He's blessed my life. There's still dead frogs. Every once in a while, I'll be like, oh, look, a dead frog. Honey, you want to come clean up this dead frog? You know. God brings forgiveness. I don't want dead frogs. Uh, all right, so we're going to stop there. Let's stop there. Can we have the ushers come on up? Now we get to celebrate communion. The communion table has been called the meal that heals, right? We talked about this before. Now, in light of everything that we were just talking about, right, with God's supremacy in your life and God not asking, God's telling, and yet God loves you and God wants to offer forgiveness, but I got frogs and all of these things. This is something that was personally instituted by Jesus Christ. Personally instituted by Jesus Christ. It was a Passover dinner. He's having Passover with the disciples, and suddenly he changed it all up from being your regular traditional Passover meal. He changed it up and he said, this now represents my body. And the wine represents my blood. And when you guys gather together, you believers in, in the church in the future, when you guys gather together, do this in remembrance of me. And Jesus in a spiritual way was seeking to share a meal with us. Now, 2,000 years in the future, we believe when we gather together, where two or more of you are gathered together, what does he say? There I am in the midst of you. I believe that he's here today. I believe that he is here today in our worship. I believe that he's here today in our attentiveness and our reading of his word. And I believe that he wants to share a meal with you today. And so, you know, when we grew up, it was like, you know, if you eat and drink in an unworthy manner, you're eating and drinking judgment upon yourself. That's in the Bible. And so we were always scared because I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. So if I'm, if I'm, if I'm doing communion and, and I've got sin in my life and I've done things that were wrong this week, I'm going to be eating and drinking judgment on myself. That's not how it works. And that's not what Paul was talking about. What Paul was talking about is that fake brothers and fake sisters who were sitting in the church like Ananias and Sapphira and they had wickedness in their lives and they knew that it was there and they refused to repent of it and they refused to give God lordship of their lives but they pretended to be true followers. 
And that's the one thing God hates. And Jesus Christ, when he appears to John on the island of Patmos, remember what he says to the lukewarm church. I wish you were hot or cold. I wish you were one or the other. Love me or hate me. But because you're lukewarm, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. What God wants is honesty. He ain't looking for your perfection. That went bye-bye long ago, didn't it? He's looking for our honesty. I don't care what you've got going on. If you don't know Jesus Christ, ask him into your heart while you're taking this. Ask him into your heart today while you're sharing this with him. And he'll come in. That's just the way he works. That's how wonderful he is. But for the rest of you, anybody here who already knows Jesus Christ, please, don't ever let yourself, don't ever let the enemy tell you you're not worthy. You're not worthy. But duh, None of us are ever worthy. If it was about us being worthy, no one would be saved. It's about his love to us. Don't let the enemy rip you off. God wants your heart full of peace and joy in him. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Don't let him let frogs in the back door. Break bread with Jesus Christ today in your heart. In your heart. Confess to him, whatever there is. When these are being passed out, talk to God. Lord, you know the deal. It ain't a pretty picture. But I love you. I want to serve you. I want to break bread with you. Guess what his answer is? Yes. Yes. Come on up, guys.